My presentation is going to be slightly different in the sense that actually my study group is undergraduates, but one of the things is we found that there was over a third of people progressing into postgraduate destinations, so that's what I'm going to concentrate on, um, but I'll give you some context as well. And similarly, obviously, people have been talking about the Delhi data, so mine's a longitudinal stutters. Longitudinal in the sense of looking where our graduates went over a 15-year time frame, and um, so they were beyond Delhi, and obviously employability is high, we're reviewing Delhi and its purpose, etc. People have already talked about where people go. So, you know, sort of six months after graduation, three and a half years, we've got a little bit longer than that. So, I say that's what we're going to have a look at, particularly. No, it's okay. So, just, I mean, people have already been giving context to this today, and, and uh, Charlie, you already spoke about, you know, some of the reasons why people are sort of taking up um, postgraduate study, and obviously that then, so, you know, that this is not something we necessarily know, being is an unknown to us. Um, and as people have already highlighted today, it's not immediately sort of post you know, that year after they don't necessarily transition straight after their graduate, their undergraduate degree onto postgraduate study. For some, it will be a gap. We know that certainly from the data I've been looking at, some of that will be that they'll be testing the labour market in that period immediately afterwards. And then what they'll do beyond that is then think about potentially, right, where are the jobs? What, how am I going to evolve into? And that might sometimes be because of the work that they've actually been doing in that period, they might then decide to sort of, you know, um, particularly around about health and social care, we saw a number of our graduates going into that, evolving into that profession, but that was often as a consequence of that's where they ended up working afterwards, and that has sometimes stimulated a particular sort of um, interest in, let's say, remaining in that profession. I put lastly on this side the HESA data, and again, this is not unknown to us, but the reason I've done that is particularly to put context. So in that last sort of point where, you know, so 11.6% going to further study, we found that 20% of our graduates were going into further study. So I'd say that's why I particularly put that data up there and see if we contextualise that against uh, what we know uh, more broadly within the UK. So the objective of our study was particularly as they were looking at our undergraduate students and over a 15-year time frame, what had really happened to them, so say beyond Delhi, really. Um, so what we wanted to look at is where did they go, what were their career trajectories like, and this is set against the context of employability, so in terms of obviously, you know, it's students, whether we like it or not, are coming now um, to university to study because they are looking at career prospects, and so therefore in terms of us sort of, you know, recognising that, then we need to be able to give them that information. Charlie, you've talked about the key information sets, well obviously this feeds into all of this. Um, we also wanted to look at the preparedness for the workplace and that was obviously to help us in terms of what, had we sort of got our curriculum right and so therefore it was to inform that side of it. But also similar to, to you, um, Sally, was to look at um, demographic data as well. And so, in, you know, widening, widening participation study is, of, is obviously quite topical at the moment and so therefore, similar to what you've done, I've also looked at this uh, data in relation to those widening participation um, statistics. So, in that 15-year time frame then, we had just shy of a thousand students had graduated from our sports degrees. We had a research assistant working on this, and she, so she managed to find that just under half of them had valid email addresses, so we, were, we, we emailed them our survey. And from the survey we got, just over a third of those for whom we had valid email addresses responded. But um, as you'll see from some of the data in a minute, a lot of our students stayed quite local, so actually we had departmental records for almost a third of those graduates, and so that also informed um, the output from this study. So, 
Charlie, you've already pointed out that we're actually quite homebirds, and so you can see that in that second part of the majority of our students are Scottish, um, and, and in terms of the ones that responded to the survey, most of them were Scottish as well. You'll see in that last column we have a very high proportion of our students come from uh, further education. That was partly to do with the way the degree programmes were set up, set up initially, but in terms of the project that we projects that we're running at the moment round about and uh, also outcome agreements that we have from the Scottish Government, then we have targets round about getting more people to come from further education and that's reflected in their data as well. In Scotland obviously a number of students can graduate with an unclassified award and we do have um, a sort of quite high proportion of students who do that and you can also see there in terms of in Scotland rather than polar we talk about Scottish index of multiple deprivation so that 20th percentile which are at the bottom end of that those are the ones who we see as the most deprived community. So that just gives you some understanding about who are our students who are our graduates. In terms of the being a work of further study, and in that first column you'll see that in terms of the respondents, 100% of them were in work of further study. So I do know I have got a skewed sample in the sense of obviously I suspect that those who responded to our survey were the ones that had a good news story to tell us. And obviously the ones that we've also got departmental records for, I think they're the ones that, where we know what, you know, what they've gone on to do. Similar to the sector then, we know that you know, many of them are in graduate jobs. One of the things we do know is that many of ours are going into sports employment, so from a, a curriculum management point of view, that's obviously good news because we're doing something right. They're getting jobs within the sector that we're educating them for. But it's this last part that I want to particularly concentrate is in relation to the postgraduate qualifications. Um, and as I said to you earlier, a fifth of our students are going into further study in that first six months after uh, graduation. But in terms of overall, 37% of them actually have a postgraduate qualification. And that is much higher um, than sort of UK sports uh, sport graduates, with only 14% of them go on to get postgraduate qualifications, as I say, really than a third, so much higher than that. Um, and, so, and as you can see there, just in terms of general uh, postgraduate qualifications, then again we had a significantly higher proportion of our average uh, sports graduates completing a postgraduate qualification. In terms of again those going on to teaching, and I will look at these as a particular group because again we will see that we're significantly higher in relation to the proportion of our students going on, and almost a third of our students went into teaching, that's primary and secondary teaching. Specifically, now teaching is obviously quite topical at the moment. Um, the Scottish Government, uh, there's just been a, a, a publication uh, on initial teacher education, and they've looked at post postgraduate and undergraduate, particularly looking at literacy and numeracy. Obviously, we've got an election coming up, and these things usually are sort of the things that people want to know about um, as to which government or government or prospective government are going to fund these things because it has implications both for our future workforce and for those of us with parents who have obviously got vested interest in this as well. So the trends in terms of our data then is that obviously in terms of where they went, all of them were in postgraduate destinations but many of them were in professional roles and managerial roles and the more distant they were from the point of graduation, not unusually, many more of them were in, obviously in managerial roles. That wasn't the case in teaching though and that's part of because it is a bit of a flat stru uh, sort of career structure within teaching um, so there's not there's as many opportunities to uh, rise through the ranks quite as quickly and even in that 15 year time frame. 
the ones who graduated more recently, and again, you know, this has come out in data that's all different percentage, we are seeing more of them progressing to postgraduate, and that's partly again about differentiating themselves from the undergraduate market and those graduates, but also not where they want to go to in terms of their destinations. And as you see at the bottom, many of them are going into health-related professions and many of them are going into teaching. And so therefore, in order to do that, they're either, if they're going, we had quite a proportion, um, I did, you can see they're going into physio and also into uh, um, occupational therapy. And so therefore, they could go on to uh, shortened master's courses to get those professions because they were a graduate and they were a graduate in a science-based which allowed them to do that. So they were using as a stepping stone, but again, using the particular discipline that they had studied in to make that stepping stone. Otherwise, the types of master's uh, programs that we're doing, I say teaching was the predominant one, but many were doing things around about performance coaching, which has been emergence of uh, master's studies in that, those areas, and sports management were the other sort of predominant ones. And then there's a whole range of other uh, master's programs. In relation to kind of learning again, which again is quite topical, I set against a background of widening participation, um, and Sally, you've already touched on this. So, in relation to, as we do have a very high proportion of our students come from FE, um, and in the year 15, 16, 72% of our third year cohort was made up of students who come from further education. So, it's a particularly high great in terms of achieving our outcome achievements, but it, there is a group that we will particularly in terms of destinations beyond that. So those who had come from further education were significantly less likely to have a postgraduate qualification, but they were significantly more likely to uh, exit with an unclassified award. So that, you know, those two things do sort of, um, sort of link together. But one of the things that we've seen across time, and particularly in um, more recent years, and specifically in the year 13-14, there was no significant difference in terms of those who came from FE or those who've been with us for the first year in terms of staying to the honours stage of study. So that link is beginning to weaken as more of our students are coming from, uh, from college are staying on to honours. And then when we looked at in terms of uh, where was there were the significant differences in terms of those who were going on to postgraduate study. So yes, our students who came from FE, if we look across the whole 15-year time frame, were significantly less likely to get a postgraduate qualification. Again, it would be interesting to track that as we go forward, because more of them are now staying for honours. So again, are they then going on? But one of the things in relation to, as I say, the, the backgrounds of our students. So those who were first in family, there, there was no significant differences in terms of those students who went on to postgraduate education or not. And again, those who came from more uh, deprived homes, no significant difference. And that's quite an interesting statistic because the HEFI data seems to suggest that those groups are more disadvantaged in terms of going into postgraduate uh, study, but that wasn't what we found in our, in our and this is where they go. So just from a recruitment point of view, in terms of, you know, we've talked about SAP information sets, I know use this that are, are, you know, when we're doing our open days and our applicant days, because it gives people a quite clear sense of where do our students go. This isn't their first destinations, this is where they are now, because I've got another slide which is on their first destinations. But I say the fact is we know that very many of them are going into the professions. So what, what does it mean for me in terms of my curriculum? Am I going to change it knowing this? Well, not at the moment because, you know, what we know is we asked them about preparedness for employment and 85% of them said that they did feel prepared for their current post. Um, 
there is obviously a debate in higher education about whether we should just be uh, preparing them for you know, the labour market which aligns to the thing that they're studying, you know, that actually many of them will diversify as they go through. So we have quite a lot of generic skills, and when we ask them what was the things which were most useful in their programme, we do have a heavy emphasis on placement that came out, and also on research methods. They hate it with a passion when they're doing it, but actually they found it the most useful thing um, because of the, of the range of things that they're required to do in terms of analytical skills. <coughs>